they heard about our network. And now, in addition to moving the distribution facility down, they're also going to be moving their uh, some portion of their IT operations down here to avail themselves of the, of the network that we're building. Hi there again. You're listening to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. We started covering the Maryland community of Westminster in 2012. Businesses in Westminster have struggled with the lack of broadband, but community leaders are now taking matters into their own hands. In recent months, the town has moved forward with an initiative to improve local connectivity. Interest is high, even before hanging or burying a single mile of fiber. As it prepares for 2015, the City Council has included $6.3 million worth of funding in its budget for a broadband pilot project. The community just issued its request for proposals on May 22nd. Dr. Robert Wack, a member of the Westminster City Council, visited with Chris about the project. Dr. Wack has played an instrumental role in the project planning from the beginning of the initiative. We often discuss broadband as it relates to telehealth. In this interview, Dr. Wack describes one of his own personal experiences. Here are Chris and Dr. Robert Wack from Westminster. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Wack, City Council Member of Westminster, Maryland. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's terrific to have you on the show. We've been following Westminster pretty closely because I think you have a really innovative model in terms of how you're going about building this fiber network that will be owned by the community. Uh, but let's start with a little introduction to Westminster for people who aren't familiar with it. Uh, can you describe Westminster to the audience? Sure. Um, Westminster is the county seat of Carroll County, which is located right smack in the middle of the state uh, of Maryland. We're about an hour due north, right out of Washington, D.C., and about 45 minutes north and west of Baltimore. Um, it's a, a typical uh, community in the United States in that it was formerly almost entirely agricultural, and it is now transitioning into a bedroom community for the Baltimore-Washington area. Um, Total population in Carroll County is about 167,000. In Westminster, it's about 18,000 people. And uh, unfortunately, about two-thirds of our community leaves Carroll County every morning to go to work in either Baltimore or Washington. So we've not done a good job with um, local job development and local um, and economic development uh, over the years. A relatively affluent community, you know, in terms of median income and whatnot, but two-thirds of the community goes somewhere else to work every morning. So we actually learned about Westminster here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance only after we learned about Carroll County's network, and we had actually done a podcast with them uh, a little while back. Um, I think one of the things that, that you worked with Carroll County on is this uh, pilot project that, that started um, some of your fiber investment. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So back in 2003, uh, after I got on the city council, I was appointed to uh, be Westminster's representative on the Cable Regulatory Commission in Carroll County. And one of the issues that was before the commission is um, what to do about the INET fiber that had been negotiated in the most recent um, cable franchise uh, renegotiation. And so as part of that, the uh, cable provider had, had installed uh, some uh, dark fiber around the county connecting up some county buildings and, and some of the buildings in the municipalities, but nobody had, had done anything with it. It was, it was just dormant. 
And so uh, the chair of the commission at the time, Ken Decker, and I uh, made it our mission to, to somehow put that fiber to use. And during the course of trying to resolve the, the myriad challenges that we faced doing that, uh, we got together with uh, Gary Davis from the Carroll County Public School System and Steve Powell from County Government. We realized, you know, we don't need that INET fiber. We can just build our own and uh, solve a whole bunch of problems for the county, uh, county government and the county school system and save a boatload of money in the process. And so that's how the Carroll County Public Network was born. And um, the, the commissioners at the time uh, had real vision and uh, they sunk a, a big chunk of money in that. And they built this middle mile network connecting all the schools and uh, county buildings together and realized a uh, considerable savings just in the first several years of operations that they basically uh, made that investment pay for itself already just in deferred costs. So they also have a whole bunch of dark fiber installed that they're now looking to lease uh, to the private sector. And that laid the groundwork for us to do our Westminster network because now we have the middle mile connection out to the rest of the world. So that led then to a different pilot project, as which is the um, you've now connected some uh, areas in your own community. I believe it was a retirement home. That's the first phase that we just uh, put out the construction RFP for, and and that's that was. Initially, we, the idea was that this was going to be a pilot project, but we've generated so much enthusiasm and got so much momentum that we're already moving, calling it phase one, and we're planning for the build-out for the rest of the community. But it hasn't been connected yet. It's going to be, we're going to break ground this summer and um, you know, have that done this year and hopefully lit by the end of this year. Let's walk through that then. And and so you announced that you're going to be doing this pilot project, which I misremembered. And then you have all this uh, outpouring of interest from the community. From from what parts of the community? Uh, like who was really excited when they heard that this was a possibility? Well, certainly the the two areas that are that are being built out first, uh, the the retirement community, Carroll Lutheran Village. Those residents are beside themselves because. Uh, you know, people, there's a sort of this stereotype of the older generations being less tech savvy, and that couldn't be farther from the truth with this community. They get it, and they, they want these, the, the, the services that are, are possible with a, with a high-end broadband system, and, and they are just uh, ready to go. And so um, they, they've been the most enthusiastic and then the business community, um, they face challenges every day with uh, the lack of quality broadband. So they've, they've also been very enthusiastic supporters. Uh, so the combination of the, all the positive feedback we've gotten from just floating this idea of this pilot project has energized uh, the city staff and the other elected officials to, to and, and sort of open their eyes to the potential of this and, and the wider um, appeal to the to the entire community, and so we're we're plowing right ahead with the rest of the build. What I find really interesting is the the way you're going about financing it, because a lot of the communities who have done something similar have gone out and they've bonded or they've done something separate rather than just appropriating the money for it. Now I understand that you have calculated a payback period, and so it's not a matter of you just sort of 
seeing this as something the the city's going to spend money on. But how did you decide to go about um, appropriating $6.3 million for it as opposed to using some other financial stream? The first phase we had the cash for. Uh, we're estimating it's going to be about $1.2 million. And we had reserves set aside for exactly this kind of thing, an opportunity comes along, presents itself, it was nice to have those reserves available. You know, we had prudently saved and, and now we had this opportunity, so we were able to do that. So the first phase is fully funded. The second phase, the $6.2 million you referred to, that is going to be bonded, but we have identified um, a, a portion of our tax revenue stream that we can set aside for the debt service on that $6.2 million. Worst case scenario, this you know we we aren't able to lease any of this dark fiber, and we just have we're just holding a bunch of dark fiber. We can carry that debt, which that's not our plan. But worst comes to worst, if if that were to happen, it would not kill us, and it would not it would not be a fatal uh, financial blow. We have modeled this that we're going to lease this fiber, and we're going to generate a certain return that should cover our debt service plus the, the minimal amount of maintenance for the dark fiber, we're projecting, you know, within three to five years that, that we should get to that point. And, and that's with some very, very conservative assumptions. Conservative assumptions, plus you, know, you have this sense from the business community that there's this overwhelming need that no one else is oh, going to yeah. swoop in and Absolutely. provide. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's why I'm confident we're going to be able to to, to hit that target. So I'll give you an example. We did a survey of the business community. I don't know, it was probably about six months ago, just to sort of test the water and with some generic questions about, are you looking for better broadband services? Uh, you know, are, are, you know, would, if, if, if a, if a higher capacity service were available, would you switch? And we had 60, 70 businesses responded and 80% of them responded yes to everything. You know, that the, we want this service, we're willing to pay for it, and, and we desperately need it. I think that was part of why suddenly we had this you know, dramatic surge in, in interest in the, the broader project beyond just the, the first phase or the pilot project. One of the results that seems to have already occurred is that you have an interest in some businesses, or at least one business, outside of the community that's moved into the community and is very excited about this network. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about this, this, this company? This company's called Carlisle, et cetera. They're a uh, manufacturer and distributor of uh, women's clothing, and they are based out of New York, and they have an operation already down here uh, that they do men's clothing. And they were looking for a new distribution facility. So they came down to uh, Westminster, and we had some uh, warehouse space out by our airport area where the first phase is going to be constructed. And they were interested in that, but in the process of doing their due diligence, they heard about our network. And now, in addition to moving the distribution facility down, they're also going to be moving their uh, some portion of their IT operations down here to avail themselves of the of the network that we're building. So, and that's even before we laid a single strand of fiber. You know, so so that's how important these kinds of services are to any business. And you know, these guys are clothing manufacturers, and they need broadband just for their operations. These businesses, as they're getting hooked up then, they're not actually going to be getting services from the city of Westminster, though. They're going to be uh, having a choice of multiple ISPs, as I understand it, because you're, you're going to embrace this open access type approach. We're, we're not a major metropolitan area, so we don't have a, a huge diversity of choices for 
telecommunications and internet services. You know, we're sort of stuck with the incumbents and they're not terribly interested in changing their um, practices in our community. So if we want uh, an array of choices and we want some competition that's going to drive better services at lower prices, we're going to have to create the environment that, that allows that to happen. The way we're going to do that is to build out this publicly owned um, communications infrastructure and then op, you know, operate it in, in an open fashion so that any provider can come in to provide any service. Do you have any providers already lined up who are excited to work on the network? Lots of interest, uh, but because we don't actually have any fiber to lease yet, <laughs> we don't have anything signed. Uh, so uh, our next step after we get this first construction uh, RFP lockdown is we're going to be uh, putting out another RFP for our first network operator who's going to, um, in, in this stratified business model we're using, will function as a utility bandwidth provider. And then on top of that layer, we'll have the individual service providers who will be the ISPs and the, provide voice services and video services and cloud services and home security services and healthcare applications. Um, it's, it's a model that's used widely in Asia and Europe, uh, not so much in the United States. In fact, if uh, or when we successfully implement this, we'll, prob- we'll be the first successful implementation in the United States. As you're building the network out, will you be connecting everyone uh, initially or just those who are going to sign up for services immediately? Think of it this way. We're going to be building the streets, but we're not going to be building the driveway until somebody asks us to. And we can't legally. You know, a, a property owner has to invite us onto their property to, to build their driveway or to you know, put in the drop that's going to connect them to the network. So we will certainly make the offer to the entire community or, to, or the, the, the areas of the community where we're in, in the streets. Um, we can't do it until we're out in front of their house. It's going to be available to everybody, but um, the drops will be installed on an as-needed basis. Now, it's taking a step away from Westminster. As a, as a doctor, I understand that you have a wonderful anecdote for why telemedicine is so important. Uh, tell us what it is. Sure. So I work in a pediatric emergency department in uh, Frederick, Maryland, which is one of the next towns over of a pretty large community with the community hospital. And um, uh, we have a relationship with Children's Hospital down in Washington, D.C. to provide uh, pediatric cardiology telemedicine services, uh, specifically echocardiograms, which are which are um, ultrasounds of, of the heart. And so one evening, it was a Sunday evening, uh, a, a local pediatrician had seen uh, an infant in his office and was concerned that there might be a, a serious heart problem. And so he sent the baby over to us at the emergency department, and we called Children's Hospital and set up this remote uh, echocardiogram uh, technology that we have. It transmits an enormous amount of data, and the pediatric cardiologist down at Children's Hospital sits and, and does the echocardiogram with our technician here in Frederick. You know, we're about 50 miles apart, and then he, in real time, he's watching the study and talking with me, the tech, and the parents who are sitting in the room and can see everything. They can see the cardiologist on a screen, they can see the echo on the screen so they can actually see their child's heart while they're doing the study. And uh, so in this particular instance, the tech did the study, um, the cardiologist read the study, and this is on a Sunday night, keep in mind, and 
at the end of it, the cardiologist was able to say, you know what, this isn't a big deal. The baby doesn't need to come down to Washington, D.C. They can go home and we'll follow this up as an outpatient. Just a couple of years ago, I would have had to transfer that baby down to Children's Hospital. The parents would have had to drive down on a Sunday night. They wouldn't have been really seen until probably the next day. It would have been a separate hospital admission, a lot of inconvenience and worry for the parents. Um, and today, we were able to, to ask the question, answer the question, and, and get that family back home and back in their own beds, uh, you know, to use that technology. That, you know, that's requiring leased lines. It's very expensive. You know, if you have ubiquitous, um, affordable broadband, those are the kinds of things that become much more available to um, help push high-end services, medical services, all sorts of services deeper out into the community. Uh, a lot of benefits. My mom works for the Mayo Clinic as a nurse, and uh, so I, I pay a little bit of attention. And I saw that when gas was over $4 a gallon, the number of people willing to drive over 100 miles to the Mayo Clinic dropped significantly. And, you know, these sorts of things are really important to try and help people, not just, you know, the sort of that peace of mind of getting the news quicker, but also just making sure people are actually getting the care that they need. Back in the 20s and 30s when rural electrification was occurring, everybody was only interested in light bulbs. Nobody was thinking about fax machines and microwaves and the personal computer. And yet, without rural electrification, none of that stuff is possible. And that's, that's where we're going with broadband. Is right now, everybody's thinking about email and, and watching YouTube and whatnot. But there's things coming that we can't even, we're not even thinking of, but it's all the middle school kids who right now will make those things happen, but we have to give them the, the pathways, the tools, the pipes to, to bring those things to fruition. So thank you very much for coming on and, uh, and getting, giving us a sense of how you're tackling this problem in Westminster. Thank you, Chris, and thanks for all the work you guys do. We have several stories on Westminster posted at muninetworks.org. If the story interests you, you should also check out the articles we've published on Carroll County, Maryland, and their public network. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. This show was released on May 27, 2014. We want to thank the group Valley Lodge for their song, Sweet Elizabeth, licensed using Creative Commons. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.